With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The kick ahead. And Dufty's chasing it. The bounce sits up. The Dragons are steamrolling the week to the finals. Inside the last 10 seconds of the game. St. George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air. Going back is Mabel. Oh, leaping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible try that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out. He strikes it nicely. St George Illawarra win for the first time in their premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock down the sideline. Chipping over the top of John Payne. Episode 178 of the Red V Podcast is live, folks. Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward here with you to guide you through everything about the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons. And I guess it's a, a podcast episode of rejoicing. It's a podcast episode of hope, uh, a little bit of happiness and, and joy for Dragons fans as we uh, hear the news that Shane Flanagan is pretty much uh, going to be announced as the head coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons from 2024 onwards. Uh, the uh, uh, the Daily Telegraph's Michael Carianis and Brent Reid, they broke that that earlier this morning or earlier uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. We've also got a special one-on-one chat with Michael Carianis. He was good enough to give up some time earlier in the afternoon. He talks about uh, the position that the Dragons find themselves in with Shane Flanagan, what kind of coach the Dragons uh, fan base and the Dragons team is getting uh, from uh, from Shane Flanagan. And I guess the, the backflip uh, or the 180s we've seen from some of the board members that were previously uh, well against a, a Shane Flanagan uh, appointment. We'll also review that win against Seattle. 
house, it seems ages ago now, doesn't it? The new cycle moves so quickly as a Dragons fan. Uh, the Dragons 36 defeating South 30. We'll talk about uh, everything, including that last five minutes where the Dragons um, really fell away badly. But we'll also focus on that first 75 minutes where they played some pretty good football uh, against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. The bye this week means we'll have na- no match preview, but we'll also round up your latest Dragons news. Have a look at the lower grades. The Dragons uh, reserve grade side is going to be uh, playing for the Roy Masters Cup against the Western Suburbs Magpies uh, this forthcoming weekend. We'll also answer your fans' corner questions as well. As always, Curtis Woodward is here chatting St. George Illawarra football. Kurt, and uh, welcome again to the podcast, mate. Always great to uh, have your dulcet tones talking about the Dragons and another week and uh, another week where the Dragons news cycle has gone into overdrive and we have plenty to talk about tonight, brother. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Good to be uh, back on the Red V podcast yeah, like you said, there's always something to talk about with the Dragons. Um, you know, at the moment, they're in the doldrums, but they are a big club um, and they, you know, demand space in that in that media cycle. It doesn't matter where they are. So, look, and it was a good win on the field. Forget the last couple of minutes. But, um, yeah, plenty to talk about. And, and obviously, the, the big news, Shane Flanagan to coach the Dragons moving into next year. So, at least that's out of the way for the Dragons. That's some positive news for fans and, and I guess for the club as well. They're probably relieved to get that out of the way, even though they have not confirmed it publicly yet. Yeah, well, lots to talk about. And, and, and I guess a bit of a change to the format uh, this week where we won't jump straight into our Dragons news and updates. They're really... Uh, is basically no news to talk about apart from the news that we're going to talk about now. And that's the, I guess, the impending uh, appointment of, of Shane Flanagan as as coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Earlier today on Tuesday uh, morning, uh, Michael Carianis and Brent Reid from the Daily Telegraph reported that um, uh, the the board had unanimously um, agreed to uh, go in that direction to, to offer uh, Flanagan um, the head coaching role for the Dragons, where I guess the mail we're hearing, Kurt, is it would be a three-year deal. We don't know the ins and outs. We don't know what the backroom staff is going to look like. We're not. We don't know what that's going to mean for Ben Harron, uh, the, the general manager of football, who's been under uh, ex- extreme scrutiny and rightfully so uh, recently. Um, but we, uh, I was just kind of scouring the the, the news before we got on air, Kurt, and, and uh, Adrian uh, Prezenko, who is uh, one of the lead rugby league writers for the Sydney Morning Herald, um, actually was uh, was quoting Shane Flanagan. Um, in regards to this deal as, as head coach. Um, so the Dragons uh, met on Tuesday to discuss the vacant coaching position. Um, and then Flanagan was deemed that the club's preferred candidate after he, uh, he met with officials uh, last week. He's, um, Adrian said the term of the deals are still to be negotiated, but Flanagan has made no secret of his desire to return to the NRL coaching ranks in charge of the Red V. He actually made a statement, Shane Flanagan, earlier this afternoon. He said, I received the great news today that the St. George Illawarra Dragons board have unanimously supported my appointment as head coach starting in 2024. Uh, The details will be finalized over the next few days. And once completed, I will supply a detailed press release. It would be an understatement if I didn't express my excitement at being appointed head coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Thank you for the overwhelming uh, support. So for those fans that are perhaps maybe on the fence a little bit, um, not sure whether it's going to be, whether it's been confirmed yet by the club, which it hasn't 
Jackson, obviously, because there's still um, a, a few things to, to be ironed out. I think a, a press release uh, or a press statement from uh, Shane Flanagan saying he's he's excited and, and the details are going to be really ironed out. Those kinks are going to be ironed out in, in the next two to three days. Is promising for, for, for the Dragons. Uh, Kurt, I guess it's a bit of an outsider, an outsider that, that no doubt loves the Dragons and, and has really been in, embraced by this Dragons fan base since you've jumped on the podcast, mate. If you, I guess if you're looking at it through the eyes of, of, of an, another fan, an independent a fan of, a, of another football club in the NRL, what do you make of the Dragons' um, uh, approach and I guess the, the uh, imminent signing of, of Shane Flanagan as coach? Yeah, I, look, I, I, I think that there'll be a few barbs on social media for a few weeks and that kind of stuff. Um, hopefully, most of it's lighthearted, you know, kind of mm. obviously what Flanagan's been through at the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm okay with this, just kind of where everything's fallen. Um, I, I don't want to tell the Dragons, Dicky guys and, and marketing department how to suck eggs, but I, I'd be sitting down with Flanagan, you know, the day of the announcement and do like a legitimate one-on-one Q&A, you know, even get an Andrew Webster or someone like that, an outsider, uh, not part of the club because we, we've already seen kind of some of the, uh, the the feedback to the Dragon's Den podcast when, when you know, shit's hitting the fan and, you know, kind of the, the podcast is kind of keeping within the structure of, of, of the club and the, the, the company line. You know, imagine if, if the fans got to sit down that maybe not sold on Flanagan yet, get to hear him talk for 30, 40 minutes to a neutral journalist and, and some legitimate questions. Um, and like I said, at least it's settled now um, and the club can start moving forward with roster development, all that kind of stuff. The other thing too is that rugby league moves very quickly. Um, and if Flanagan can produce results quickly, which I think he can, because there is framework already there with, mm. with a young team, I think people will forget pretty quickly about all the, the – the, the stuff that's come before um, and kind of get on the Flanagan bandwagon because, look, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he is a really, really good tactical coach. Yep. He's a man manager. Um, obviously, his son is a young player trying to find his feet still in the NRL. He's one of those guys, a bit of a hardhead. If you look at the 2016 Sharks Premiership team, you brought in a lot of um, uh, tough men, um, uh, guys that, uh, you know, probably their last chance, like, you know, age-wise yeah. to win a comp. And there was a nice sprinkling of youngsters in there too. So I think Flanagan not only, um, obviously, I, I, I think um, in, in, rugby, in rugby league land uh, has the respect of, of other players mm. um, going around in the competition, but also I think he understands and, and knows how to nurture the rookies who are a completely different dynamic these days. You can't sit there and bag about and scream at them and, you know, throw them in reserve rate and not talk to them and all that kind of stuff, which we've seen um, from uh, from other special coaches that, that mm. have recently been sacked in the, in the competition. Um, so, look, just obviously the roles deal fell through. I'd be very interested to see. Obviously, Shane Flanagan is excited. He's pumped. And, and we've said that before, is that this is his leg. I said it last week, this is his legacy. Mm. This for him is, if he gets this right, um, a lot of those errors, these ghastly errors that, that he made as um, the head of, um, of a football team, as the coach, you know, um, mm. and, and dangerous errors, you know, horrible things that got him good from the game for a while. 
they will, in a sense, there'll always be an asterisk there somewhere, but I think he can change the minds of a lot of people if he gets this right with the Dragons. So, yeah, no, I think it's good, and, and I think it can be turned around very quickly. I, I think some Dragons fans out there might still be surprised by what Ryan Carr can do this year as well. Mm. So it's not all doom and gloom for the club. The, the season's not finished yet for the, for the Dragons. And if you look at the table and the competition itself, is there truly a team that stands out as a potential wooden spooner at the moment. Like, mm. I don't think there's such thing this year. So, yeah, um, I, I've babbled on enough, but I, I think <laughs> it's good. I, I, I think Flanagan can change perceptions very quickly just because of his talent as a coach and what he'll be able to do for this team. Because I think what he'll be looking at that team going, you know, there, there is a special bunch of players in there. Some changes need to be made, but there, there's a special lot in there that he can – mould and harness and, and um, push to the next level. Because that's the main thing. We need to mm. see these guys get better, right? Week to week, consistency and all that kind of stuff. And I think he's the, the right bloke to do it. Remember too, um, when he took over the Sharks in 2010, the Sharks had finished 15th in a 16-10 comp in, in 20, uh, 2009. Mm. And he kind of turned that place around pretty quickly. Some, some really smart purchases on the open market. Um, and, and obviously develop some some youngsters as well. So yeah, good things. Thumbs up. You know, let's forget anything we've said before previously because it's all about constructive criticism. And for you, Jack, running the podcast as an actual Dragons fan, it's just about seeing the team be better and seeing the club get better. And I think Flanagan understands that he'll be, he'll do a really good job. I think once he gets his his hands on the team and, and gets back into doing what he wants to do the most, which is coach first grade football. Yeah, I'm really excited about the uh, the appointment. He's someone that I've wanted at the club for for a long time, probably even dating back prior to Anthony Griffin being being brought in. And I know there was excitement when Griffin was signed as coach, but I think my excitement probably is even even further past um, the the appointment of of Griffin. Of course, we didn't know at the time that things were were, were going to go as as disastrously as as they did. But I think for for the Dragons to to, to, to find a premiership winning coach um, at their disposal, um, someone that, yeah, has has made his squads better. I think, yeah, as yeah, as Kurt mentioned, a man manager, someone that can get the best out of his players. He's done that at Cronulla. He's rebuilt Cronulla effectively from from the ground up. And I, I know there was all the stuff for the peptides and, and, and everything that's happened at Cronulla. And everyone has their opinion on that. Uh, you might not like the guy. Um, you, you don't have to, but I, I, I can guarantee you there'll be a hell of a lot of Dragons fans that will be changing their tune if Shane, uh, Shane Flanagan can be getting results uh, on the field. The Dragons can be churning out wins. Players can improve. He can improve the culture on and off the field because it, it, it has been something the Dragons have struggled with uh, for, for a long time. But but even just listening to it uh, in commentary, and I know this might sound funny because a lot of people don't rate his commentary. I, I don't have a huge problem with it. It's not the most enterprising commentator I've ever listened to, but I think when he has commentated on a few Dragons games, even then, just his analysis coming through, just kind of uh, pinpointing some of the errors the Dragons have made defensively, that's what makes me excited about Shane Flanagan because I think he's someone that can have an immediate impact. I think he's someone that uh, bringing his wealth of experience, his coaching methods, um, even without touching recruitment, without touching pathways, he's someone that I think can churn out an extra three to four wins per season for the Dragons. And we saw what he did at Cron- 
Cronulla and, and it might not necessarily be um, uh, as, uh, come as easily or come as quickly as it did at Cronulla. This might be a re- rebuild that takes five or six or seven years for the Dragons to be to be competitive because the game has obviously changed a lot since um, uh, since he was kind of in his in his role at Cronulla. But I think he's the best person for the job. I, I think if the Dragons have been left with a Dean Young or a, or a Ben Hornby or even a Jason Riles, I was I was high on Jason Riles, but I think when you look at it, yeah, I would much rather take a, a premiership winning coach that's rebuilt a club um, and he's done a great he's, he's done a great um, service under other coaches as well we, we talk about what he's done at Cronulla obviously um, and, and the fact he's been assistant coach at the Dragons and list manager and this and that but he was actually the coach of that Sydney Roosters side in 2004 that won the Jersey Fleet competition where Jamie Soward kind of scored I think he scored something like 340 points in the season I think they finished undefeated um, I'm pretty sure they were premiers as well he, he worked under uh, under Ricky Stewart at, at, at the Roosters and obviously worked under him at, at Cronulla as well. Um, he's been involved in other systems. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a move definitely in the right direction. There's obviously different things the Dragons need to need to get right. Um, he's spoken on Wide World of Sports about the pathways, how he wants to improve that. He's a, he's a great recruiter. Look at some of the players he brought he brought to the Sharks, the, your likes of, of your Michael Ennis and, and Luke Lewis and um, Andrew Fafita and, and James Maloney, those kind of guys where he turned Cronulla from the also-ranza aside that, yeah, as, as Kurt mentioned, um, uh, finished last in in a or second last in a, in a second team comp and he was able to turn things around. So let's hope that he's the right man for the job. Let's hope he can get the right people um, in uh, in correct positions to um, yeah find find success uh, for the Dragons. It may not come uh, or it may not come for for several years, but I, I think the club is in as in uh, much safer hands with, with someone like a Shane Flanagan that understands the game. Um, and as Kurt and I mentioned last week. This is kind of last chance saloon for Shane Flanagan. Um, he's not going to be getting another first first grade coaching gig if things fall out at the Dragons. Much like with Anthony Griffin, Anthony Griffin's not going to coach in the NRL again. He's not going to coach in the Super League. He's not going to get an assistant coach job. You'll find him pop up in the media probably next year on Two GB or something else. And that's that's probably what's staring in the face of, of Shane Flanagan. He might be able to get other jobs, kind of in in a football department for for a club. But if he fails at this job at the Dragons, then um, the, the, there's there's really nowhere for him him to turn. In, in terms of of being uh, being a head football coach of of any side in the NRL, so I think there's um, there's a lot more for for him to to grasp uh, or things for him to kind of reach for in this role as the Dragons. I think there's a bit more incentive than there normally would be uh, for for a coach to, to come into a position and and obviously wanting to wanting to have success. I think when you know it could be your your last chance, you're, you're willing to um, yeah learn things from other coaches, um, listen to your players, um, try different things, and I think that's what excites me about um, about Shane Flanagan. I, I think the the preseason um, of of kind of 2023 leading into 2024, I think it will be one of the most anticipated ones uh, ones for the Dragons for, for many years. And and once he kind of gets his fingerprints, his DNA in the Dragons, who knows some of the players he might be able to, to bring in. He has connections at the Sharks. He might be able to bring in some of the, the young talent that comes from Cronulla. And if he can produce uh, some quality youngsters in that, uh, that small um, Sutherland Shire locality, then imagine what he's going to be able to do down through the Illawarra, down through the South Coast um, for, for, for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So I think it's a move in the right direction. I've, uh, myself and Kurt, we've been hammering the board uh, for, for weeks and rightfully so, but but uh, a big thumbs up to them. They've made the right call. They've put their egos aside. Uh, they haven't gone for the safe option. They haven't gone for the, the nepotism option. They've, they've gone for the best man 
plan that was available. And um, yeah, well done to them. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously have uh, information in regards to Shane Flanagan um, uh, in the coming days when it does get confirmed with the club. And of course, we'll be chatting with Michael Cariana shortly as well um, about uh, his thoughts on uh, breaking the news uh, in regards to, uh, to Shane Flanagan. Uh, but let's uh, jump in. Let's take a look at your Dragons news and updates. As we said at the top of the program, not too much to, uh, to report. We'll talk about Benny Hunt being included in the Queensland Maroon squad as well as taking uh, a look at uh, this week in Dragons history. Well, the only news on the horizon, apart from the Shane Flanagan news, is uh, Ben Hunt. No surprises uh, there being picked in Game 2 for the Queensland. Moreau's, again, uh, is going to be in that number 9 position and will be starting uh, for the Queenslanders. We'll probably see him play between 45 and and 50 minutes. And uh, we'll obviously have wax lyrical about Benny on the on the program, and he's been wonderful for St. George uh, Illawarra over the last couple of seasons. But uh, when he throws that Maroons jersey on, much like uh, the, the, uh, many of the, 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 the players that have pulled on that Maroons jersey prior to him and, and many that will pull on that jersey past him. He just seems to grow a couple of feet. He was huge in the decider last year. We saw him take that intercept length of the field to win the game for Queensland. He was very impressive. He actually outplayed Harry Grant um, in that game. If you looked at the two Queensland hookers and he was the, the best hooker out there on the field, including the, the Queenslanders and, and the New South Welshman players. What are you expecting to, to see from Benny Hunt on, on Wednesday night? He really is a, uh, he's become a really valuable uh, player and, and a vital cog in that uh, that Queensland setup over the last couple of years, hasn't he? Yeah, he's almost the best dummy half in... I can't believe I'm going to say this. So if he's almost the best dummy half playing in Origin on Wednesday night, doesn't that make him potentially the best dummy half in the on the planet? Yeah, well, he's played that, for Australia in that role. That, it's crazy to think that that is, you know, obviously he's needed now at the Dragons as a halfback. I, I can't believe there's even still media speculation about you know, moving Hunt to number nine because you've got Jacob Little. You've mm. got your hooker, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, look, I don't want to go down um, the, the rabbit hole with Origin too far because I'm, um, I am i don't want to see the Blues lose, but I can I can just see it again mm. with Brad Fittler and his tactics and all this kind of stuff. That's a story for another day, but Ben Hunt, he, he is a tremendous, tremendous representative football player. Um, and like you said, he, he, I think he started game one ahead of Harry Grant and kind of made Harry Grant like the yeah. secondary option, um, which is kind of like, yeah, we need to give Ben Hunt a spell. Let's get Harry Grant out there. Where a couple of years ago, we were talking about Harry Grant being the next Cameron Smith. Um, obviously, Harry Grant's still on that trajectory. He's a great player. But uh, Ben Hunt, like uh, – and I think too, has Ben Hunt played in the 90s without social media and all that kind of stuff? Um, he would have had, uh, you know, less pressure. He wouldn't be marginalised as much for some of the stuff he does. Yeah. He's so good. But I, I, I think when we look back through history in, say, 20 years' time, and we look back at Ben Hunt's career, a lot of that's the, that negativity and the, the tweets and the analysis, um, you know, at 10.30 at night and passionate fans on Twitter, um, you know, dissecting what could have been and why this didn't happen or that didn't happen yeah. and blah, blah, blah. They're going to look back at Ben Hunt and say, this guy is a freak. Mm. Um, you know, potential Hall of Famer. Not, obviously, he will never be an immortal, but, you know, 20 years is a long time in football. So, yeah, I, I'm worried for New South Wales because Queensland just, they're, they're tactically, they're, they're so far ahead of New South Wales who just seem to want to bash and barge and, and have no game plan at all. Um, I, I think up on that track, Ben Hunt could um, 
potentially get that man of the match and send us back to Sydney in a dead rubber, mm. which um, which is a scary thought considering that um, fair weather fans in Sydney, you know, particularly the state of origin, if it's a dead rubber, then you could expect family and friends at the ground, and that's about it. So yeah. fingers crossed the Blues can shift it into game three, but it's guys like Ben Hunt are the ones that scare me um, in the game, particularly, particularly at the back end of both halves. He's just, he's just a weapon, great player. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? That yeah, like the I would say a large majority of St. George Illawarra fans are, are New South Wales fans, unless they're the, that kind of that uh, that clump of of fans in southeast Queensland. That I know the Dragons have a huge fan base up there as well. Shout out to Greg Nunn and the uh, the Dragon supporters of, uh, of Queensland do a marvelous uh, marvelous job. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be cheering on the Maroons in in game two. But the Dragons and 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 I guess before St. George Illawarra, St. George had quite an affinity with Queensland. Of course, um, I think some New South Wales fans can't bear themselves to watch that um, that last passage of play in game one of 1994 where Mark Coyne scores. But uh, as a Dragons fan, I kind of look and be like, well, if there was one player, you, one Queensland, you wanted to score it, um, then you'd be happy for it to be Mark Coyne. And it's kind of when Hunt took that intercept, I thought, oh, well, that's the game gone. At least at least Benny Hunt's kind of had his grand final moment for, for 2022. So hopefully New South Wales can, uh, can turn the corner and even up the ledger. But uh, I'm sure a lot of Dragons fans, when they look back, uh, when they take off their the New South Wales coloured glasses are, are pleased to, to see the progress that uh, that he's made. Hasn't been able to have that success in terms of semi-finals and premierships with the Dragons, but he's certainly uh, churning it out with Queensland uh, in Australia, and he will line up in that starting hooker role for Queensland uh, in Game 2 against New South Wales. The other Dragons news and update stuff we have is all relating to uh, this week in Dragons history. Uh, so this is where the part of the program, or part of our uh, Dragons news and update segment, uh, start, uh, part of the Red V podcast, where we uh, take back and uh, look back and and kind of tip our cap to those four players uh, that have played for, for St. George, for Illawarra, or for uh, the emerged entity of, of St. George, uh, Illawarra. And uh, this week, we travel all the way back to round 16 of 1999, and Curtis Woodham might want to plug his ears because Western Suburbs do um, uh, get a mention a couple of times uh, this week in Dragons history, and it's not uh, great listening if you're a Western Suburbs fan. Uh, but in round 16 of 1999, St. George, Illawarra took on West. That was uh, Western Suburbs' final year uh, as a standalone club in uh, in the Premiership, and um, we won't uh, sub- subject Kurt to giving us a, a rundown of what Western Suez were like in 1999, but uh, they just didn't have the quality in their, in their playing roster, and uh, the Dragons end up uh, with a big victory, 44 points to four. Um, try scorers for the Dragons, Mark Coyne in his final season, Rod Wishard, Jason Hooper was filling in in the 5'8th role uh, for the Dragons, Brad Mackay, Wayne Bartram, Colin Ward, and Craig Fitzgibbon, the current Sharks coach, Bartram six from seven, and Fitzgibbon two from from two for West, uh, Brett Hodgson scored the lone try, but there was a bit of a, a Wollongong or Illawarra or St. George Illawarra connection with Dane Dorohy, which, who was the son of uh, John Dorohy, the uh, Joe Cool, who had a great career at Western Suburbs, but was the first ever captain for the Illawarra Steelers in 19, uh, 1982. So nice to have uh, that little connection there in front of 11,117 fans. That happened this week on the 20th of June, so in about a week's time. Uh, in the other uh, game that involved Western Suburbs, not quite the routing, but 
I will kind of get your, your thoughts on this, Kurt, because this kind of also includes uh, expansion in, in rugby league in, in the uh, on the 11th of June, 1993, St. George 20 beat West 8. Down at Olympic Park, which uh, I, I think it still exists uh, down there, was originally the home for the Melbourne Storm for uh, the first 10-plus uh, years of, of their premiership um, campaign. But St. George and West uh, took a game down there in 1993 for the Dragons. A double to Jason Donnelly, Scott Goulet, Brad Mackay tries, uh, Ian Heron two from six for the Magpies. Damien McGarry, who went on to actually play for the Dragons, he moved to St. George in 1995, and Jason Taylor uh, kicked two goals from from two attempts. They obviously were feeling out the, the different areas where they could potentially expand to, and Melbourne was one of those places in 1998, which uh, which got a club, Kurt. I think this is the, the same era where you saw gains being taken to uh, Adelaide. St. George, uh, of course, had that connection with Adelaide, with Penfold's Wine. They played a Friday night game against Balmain at the Adelaide Oval in front of almost 30,000, a couple of years prior to that. Um, there was games across in, in Perth and, and also in New Zealand uh, as well. It's interesting to kind of look back 30 years ago and see the not only the, the players and, and the sides playing in this match, but yeah, quite an impressive crowd down there in, in Melbourne for, for two sides that were several uh, thousands of kilometres away. Yeah, no, I, I kind of have some flashes of memories of this game. Um, you know, some some good rivalries back then, St. George and the Magpies. They, they, like you said, they played in Adelaide as well. I think there was an Origin game at Olympic Park a few years before that mm. um, and a test match or two as well. So, look, they were educated on their rugby league back then um, and, and obviously plans were in place from the early 90s to potentially get Melbourne into the, the, the competition at some point. Uh, I, I believe it was originally an, uh, an ERL idea. Mm. Ken Alfredson and John Quayle, and then obviously um, Super League came along. But at the, the, the graveyard, they called it. Yeah, they did. And, and um, from memory too, I don't know if they've changed the rules now where all football grounds in first grade have to be the same dimensions. But back then there was um, – fields could be – um, you know, if the, you could have a smaller field if it was within the rules of the game, and I think Olympic Park was a lot smaller. The in goals uh, always seem to be really short, Kurt. I don't know if, yeah. if that's actually true, but it always seemed because they used to have the. I don't know when they got rid of it, um, but they used to have the running track around the outside of the ground as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and and also too, um, um, uh, um, horizontally across the field um, as well was was, was shorter. Um, so, I mean, there was nowhere to hide. I mean, it, it would have been scary, you know, going in to face those storm sides of the late 90s, you know, like a dirty, cold winter night in Melbourne mm. and you played in the front row against Lazarus and Carney and Rodney Howe and Tawira Nickow and Kearns and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, look, at another place, Magpies took a few games to Darwin as well. I, I believe there's a game on YouTube, Dowmain versus... Broncos at Optus Stadium, which was um the old um Carlton home ground. Yeah, yeah, Princess Park, well. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no. Look, um, look, I I love those those quirky games that um get played in different areas. But obviously, if you don't put the development development in, um, and and put the the, the league work in, then obviously you don't um reap the rewards later. And I think we've we've now seen that with the Melbourne Storm, who are part of the um part of the furniture down there in in. In, in Melbourne and, and obviously have their market share and have their nice little piece of, of sport down there. So, yeah, unfortunately, 
Thanks, Jack. Um, two losses for the Magpies. Um, <laughs> rugby league's the winner at the end of the day. Well, I was just looking at the uh, the Dragon stats. So St. George and St. George Illawarra playing at Olympic Park. St. George won their first two games at Olympic Park. That game against West, we just spoke about it, and then beat Melbourne in, in their first of a game against the Storm uh, by 18 points to 14. And then St. George Illawarra, obviously took over that that mantle. They won their first two, 28-16 at Olympic Park in 1999. And then one of the one of the great wins in, in 1999 when the Dragons in, uh, finished sixth and, and took on third place Melbourne and thumped them by 34 points to 10. They never won another game at Olympic Park. The Dragons lost their next seven games there uh, across the, the next 10 years with Olympic Park uh, eventually um, uh, stopped hosting NRL at the end of uh, the 2000-2009 uh, season. But uh, at least uh, some happy memories at the start there. Uh, for the St. George Illawarra Dragons uh, that won by 20 points to eight. And uh, we can't forget the Illawarra Steelers, but uh, this probably not an overly happy memory for them. Uh, and uh, this week in Steelers history, uh, the Steelers went down to East in their debut year in 1982. So tomorrow uh, will mark uh, 41 years uh, since they came into the competition or ca- uh, not came into the competition, but played in a competition match against Eastern Suburbs. Uh, Illawarra going down by 15 points to seven, just the one try for the Steelers. Shane McKellar, uh, crossed the stripe for the uh, the Steelers. And John Dorohy playing in the centres uh, kicked two goals. Well, for Eastern Suburbs, Noel Cleal, Kevin Hastings and Ian Schubert, some pretty handy names there. Uh, and Ron Guido kicking three goals as East got home by 15 points to seven in front of 7,000. Uh, 561 fans. But we also can't forget about those uh, former Dragons players and former Steelers players that uh, are celebrating uh, birthdays this week, or for those that uh, aren't with us anymore, we are celebrating uh, their birthdays. And these two players played a really pivotal part in the early history of the St. George Dragons, both Arnold Trainer and Len Kelly. So tomorrow uh, will be the birthday of uh, the famous Arnold Trainer. He was born, born on the uh, the 14th of June, 1896. Sadly, we lost him at the age of 80 uh, in 1976. So just before St. George were able to win that 1977 premiership. But a key player, uh, 96 games in his career, 28 tries and 44 goals. He played effectively from the start of the history of the St. George Dragons, uh, making his debut in 1922 and uh, playing uh, over the course of uh, many seasons until retiring at the end of uh, 1930. With almost 100 games next to his name, pretty impressive record considering they were just 18-game seasons uh, back then. Whereas for Len Kelly, a, a power power forward, um, he uh, won the 1941 Premiership with St. George. He celebrates his birthday later this week on the 17th of, of June. Originally from Manildra, he played 208 first grade games, which was actually the record before for, for the St. George Dragons before Norm Proven broke it. And then, of course, that was broken by Ben Hornby uh, many years later. Uh, but he was a prolific try scorer uh, for a, a middle forward. Um, he scored um, a lot of tries over his uh, over his career, 59 tries in 160 games, including hitting double digits um, in 1941. He scored 10 tries in 16 games where St. George won the premiership. And then his second last season with the Dragons in 1943, he also scored 10 tries uh, in 16 games. But it wasn't just on the field that he had uh, that impact. He was uh, captain coach of the club in 1942 before he finished his playing career as as a player coach uh, in 1946 to 1949 with Picton. He then returned to St. George and and was part of the, um, I guess, the the backroom staff, the administrative team at the Dragons, and uh, was also an Australian selector 
Minister in 1956 and uh, was the Vice President of the New South Wales Rugby League. But most importantly, he was President of the St. George Leagues Club or the St. George Club uh, during the end of the Dragons' 11-year reign as Premiers. So was still heavily involved in uh, the running of, of what was a, a giant machine uh, that saw St. George absolutely dominant uh, through the 1950s and 60s. So we salute uh, both Arnold Trainer and Len Kelly, two uh, absolute legends of the club, and, and especially Len having such a, a profound impact uh, on uh, on the uh, the St George Dragons. And I'm sure that continues today. To to those of you listening that might be googling his name or uh, wanting to find out some more information about him, hopefully we've done him justice. And yeah, we do celebrate uh, those two two wonderful individuals for the St George Dragons. Before we wrap up our Dragons news and updates section, let's do the Who Am I uh, this week on the Red V podcast. The player. Uh, that we've chosen uh, this week uh, on the Red V podcast, Who Am I, uh, is a player that uh, represented uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons throughout uh, the late 1990s. He was a player that started his career um, at the uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Um, He was a front row forward um, and then also finished his career with the Newcastle Knights. Now, this player played, as we mentioned, uh, for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, but also spent uh, three seasons at the Steelers. He played 49 games for the Steelers between 96 and 98, was part of the joint venture for St. George Illawarra, um, playing three seasons and playing 52 games between 99 and 2001, and then spent a fair portion of his career over in the UK, three seasons at the Wigan Warriors, 94 games there, and then came back and, and spent a couple of seasons uh, with, with the Newcastle Knights. Uh, three games for Queensland in the 1997 uh, series. That was the ARL Origin Series. Uh, he was with the Illawarra Steelers at that time. Uh, 12 tests for New Zealand between 1998 and, uh, and 2001. And I guess the final clue that I will, gl- will give is... Um, that he was a player that, uh, especially when he was at the St. George Illawarra Dragons, got in a little bit of trouble for his high leg action uh, when he was running. We're, we're, that's kind of been the flavor of the month lately, hasn't it? With um, Big Tino kind of raising up the elbow. I think uh, Joseph Swali'i um, has got in trouble for his running style. This was a player way back in, in the 90s that uh, got a bit of scrutiny from the media and uh, different commentators for his, his running style. A total of 247 games, 16 tries. He stood at 187 centimeters and a weight of 109 uh, kg. Uh, main position uh, was in the middle of the field. Kurt, I think I, I think I know that you know who the Who Am I is this week. Uh, you, you, you got some names scribbled down in front of you, mate? Uh, I, I kind of knew fairly early on. Mm. Um, I, will, I won't mention him, but I, I do have a good story about the bloke as well. Um, I, I just finished in 2004 playing under-18s at the Picton Magpies as a front rower. Um, and my first trial back the next year in 2005, still 18, mm. uh, we were playing the Thrill Butchers in a trial game. And I played about half of reserve grade in the front row. And then they, they pulled me off and said, all right, sit on the bench for first grade. And I ran out there after about 15 minutes and I packed out in front of this bloke and I went, oh, shit. <laughs> 18 years old. And this is before he. Um, this is in between because I think Newcastle signed him late mm. uh, at some point uh, after the season had started, kind of out of retirement, if you want. Um, but he absolutely smashed me a couple of times. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it for others to to, to get the name. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was a very scary night. I, I, there was another bloke, Glenn Eyre, actually ran rings oh, around yeah. me too. I was running. I was I was I was blowing. 
blowing blocks and I was having a back turn running back in the line behind second marker. And they yelled, the Picton boys are yelling at me and Glenn Air just went bang. So it wasn't a good night. And that was the first time I'd played group six first grade or, or a trial against a, a Wollongong team. But um, it was a very interesting night as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I think I'd rather Glenn Air run rings around me than uh, run into a to a big prop forward. But all will be re- revealed uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. We're going to take our first break here on episode 178, and we've got a special treat for you on the other side of that. Michael Karianis from the Daily Telegraph uh, sits down with us and talks about the uh, Im- impending signing of Shane Flanagan. He talks about why the board has uh, done a, a 180, has done a backflip, and why they're happy to have Shane Flanagan on the coaching staff of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We talk about how it's got to this point. Uh, what kind of coach the Dragons uh, are going to get. And uh, yeah, uh, overall, Michael's opinion on how the Dragons have uh, handled this coaching appointment. That's coming up next here in episode 178 of the Red V Podcast. Episode 178 of the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward here with you, guiding you through everything about the St. George Illawarra Dragons. And it's really been the thing that's been on our mind for probably the last uh, couple of months is who is going to coach the Dragons in 2024 and onwards. And uh, Shane Flanagan looks to be the man that's got to cross the finish race in first. And uh, the man that's been reporting on this, no doubt it's been his life for the last couple of months, is Michael Karianis from the Daily Telegraph. And Mick's been good to give up some time this afternoon to jump on the podcast and talk about about this Shane uh, Flanagan news. Uh, Mick, thanks uh, for giving up your time this afternoon, mate. So how are you traveling? Pleasure. I'm well. How are you? Uh, doing well, mate. Uh, no doubt a, a, a busy time for, for you. Uh, it's been a busy last couple of months, uh, I guess, talking about the, the Dragons. But I guess if we, we kind of start from the beginning fans that are, are tuning in that don't know too much about all the rigmarole that's happened with Shane Flanagan and the Dragons' search for a coach, how do we find ourselves in this position where it, it seems inevitable that, that Flanagan is going to be named uh, the Dragons' head coach? Well, it's a really, really interesting one because if you cast your mind back when Anthony Griffin was sacked. Um, Shane Flanagan really wasn't even on on the short list. Mm. You would have looked at a potential candidates, and he probably would have ranked fourth in in, in that list. We, we're talking Jason Rolls, Ben Hornby, Dean Young. They were probably the top three picks um, that the club looked at um, and, and explored. And obviously, they went down the Jason Rolls path initially because they had a sense that after Anthony Griffin, they wanted a a young coach, a, a fresh coach, someone with a, a bit of different ideas and um, you know, when Jason Rolls virtually left them at the altar, there's no mm. doubt about that. They thought that deal was done. Uh, they've had a, a shift in focus, and the likes of, of Ben Hornby and, and, and Dean Young have been usurped by Shane Flanagan. And when that deal, you know, the board agreed unanimously today to to give Flanagan uh, the the deal as as head coach, and they just got to work out the finer details. But it will take a catastrophe for for that to fall over. What's changed in, in I guess, the, the boardroom power struggle and the politics that have been in the boardroom? I know you've reported on it previously, Mick, talking about uh, that Peter Douse was kind of famously the, the one that was, was blocking Flanagan um, to, to potentially becoming head coach. What's, what's changed um, at boardroom level that, that at least you understand? Yeah, there was no doubt there was some resistance um, from the St. George element of the board to push Shane Flanagan. And I think that's why he didn't even enter the picture a couple of weeks ago because if he was the the candidate which was put forward before while Jason Riles was in the mix, I, I don't think this happens. I don't think mm. Shane Flanagan is the point of the Dragons coach. But um, as, as things have played out and and the club and, and the side have, have fallen deeper into a hole, um, it's become obvious to, to those in and around the club that perhaps what they need is 
an experienced coach, a, a guy that's had success and a guy that can wear some things on his shoulders. Mm. Um, and that's what Flanagan will be able to do. So, you know, there's no doubt there's been phone calls uh, between the, the St. George side and those close to Shane Flanagan just to try and work out where, where he was at and, you know, what growth, I, I guess, um, he had developed from his time at Cronulla and what lessons he'd learned. And um, eventually that was enough for um, the St. George side to, to come on board with it. Do we know why there was that initial scepticism, uh, Mick? Uh, do, do we have any idea of what some of the ideas or some of the complaints m- might have been, at least from that St. George side of the joint venture? Because I guess Shane Flanagan has had an opportunity to coach the Dragons several times if you look back in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it, it stems from his exit at Cronulla mm. and, and the circumstances around that. And uh, Some people didn't think that he would be a, the right fit for the club considering um, the – the way he left Cronulla and, and the scrutiny mm. under him, and um, you know, there were some hoops that Flanagan and the club and, and members of, of the uh, management had to go through for the board to sign off on him returning to the club. You know, obviously had a stint as a player a long, long time ago, but he, he was part of Paul McGregor's coaching staff um, as, as an assistant, and that had to take some convincing. And you know, I think if this was going to be the long-term play, there's no way they let Shane Flanagan go at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, when, when Anthony Griffin was, was definitely under the pump and Shane Flanagan was employed by the club in a, in a list management sort of part-time role. And um, if they really had visions of him coaching at the, at the club, they could have said to him, mate, hang around here and we'll see what happens with the coach, but you'd be next in line if, if it does blow up. But it was just never, it just looked like it was never going to eventuate for Flanagan at the Dragons. Do you think there's any doubts moving moving forward? Is there going to be people in the boardroom or people in upper management of, of the Dragons or maybe even sponsors that are feeling a little bit nervous about a Shane Flanagan uh, coming in to coach the Dragons? I hope not. I don't think so. If, if he hasn't learned from uh, his lessons, knowing that this is his last chance, well, uh, he can't be helped. But I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think, mm. um, you know, fundamentally, winning will, will fix everything and it will, it will quell any doubt um, that may be around Flanagan at the moment. So there is um, a, a really low base that the club's at at the moment. They haven't had success for, for more than a decade. So if he can come and, and, and turn the, the club around, I think everyone will look back at on this appointment and, and think it's a good one. But, um, you know, that's going to be up to, to Shane and to see what he's learned from his lessons during his, his exit at Cronulla. Mick, it's almost kind of felt a little bit like deja vu for Dragons fans, at least when we've kind of seen some of the media coverage of uh, Shane Flanagan's potential um, employment. I guess in the last kind of week or the last couple of weeks since the Jason Riles deal fell over, we've seen people on, on especially, I guess, one side of the sports media landscape really kind of coming out and being quite savage, uh, opinion pieces being written about Shane Flanagan. I guess when you kind of take off your journalist hat and you just, as a rugby league fan... What, what, what's the what's the reasoning that you think is but is behind that? Like I think a lot of fans, Dragons fans, have said, "Well, like all this stuff that's happened, it seems like it's over a decade ago." And and, and listening to Shane Flanagan talk, he seems like someone that has matured and and has, has potentially learnt from from his lessons. What's the what's the what what yeah what's the reasoning behind? I guess the the attack in the media is that to. Is it to influence the Dragons' decision? Um, I, I, it's, yeah. hard, it's, it's hard for me to comment on because I'm not sitting on, on that mm. side of the fence. I think he's he's done his time and, uh, mm. you know, it, what, if you allow him to enter your club as an assistant coach or to look over your list management, 
Yeah. You know, what's the what's the major difference, right? If you were so steadfast in your belief and there were some people that, that held that belief, well, you just wouldn't let him in your club at all. He's been there. He, he's worked there and he's, you know, he's been squeaky clean since um, that, that his time at Cronulla. So I don't, I don't um, have an issue with, with Shane no. Flanagan returning as a head coach. I guess lastly, um, Michael, um, in your opinion, what does is, what is Shane Flanagan bring as a, as a coach for the Dragon? We know he's a premiership winner. We've seen him rebuild sides. I know previously he's been on Wild Water Sports with Mark Levy and, and spoken a fair bit about wanting to uh, really be in control of, of the pathways. In your opinion, as a, yeah. as a footy fan, what does what Shane Flanagan bring to the Dragons once he takes the reins? Yeah, he's... Um he, Shane's greatest strength when he was at Cronulla one was being able to recruit and recruit recruit at the top end. You look at the blokes that he brought in, and, and you've got Luke Lewis and Michael Ennis and, and James Maloney and, and, and these sort of mm. fellas. But then you look at guys that he brought in who became really, really good first graders. That's Andrew Fafita and Wayne Graham. And, you know, he, he turned Ben Barber around, who yeah. was on the scrap heap, and he produced that scintillating year when, when they won the premiership. So it's not just the guys that he's come in and, and brought at the top and his ability to attract players at that elite level, they were entrenched rep players um, when, when he bought some of those guys. And the other ones were, you know, in and out of first grade. Andrew Feder wasn't really wanted at the Tigers and became one of the best props in the game. So he's got a, a great eye for recruitment. And, and the other thing is he's, he's got a really core belief of um, pathways and, and development. And you look at um, Cronulla over the last decade, the amount of juniors that they've been able to produce from yeah. from a pretty small catchment area, you'd say, compared to what St. George Illawarra should have, um, it, it's a much smaller catchment, the, the, the Shire. Um, so I think that's going to be two focus areas. One will be getting the top 30 right, and they'll be instantly, um, you know, in terms of recruitment and retention and moving blokes on and, and signing players from other side. That's going to be number one. And number two will be setting up uh, the pathways like you did with the Sharks Academy, which is, has been such a success. Yeah, well, let's hope uh, success is is the word that can kind of get bandied around Cogra and, and Wollongong in the not-too-distant future, Mick. I know there's plenty of Dragons fans excited about it. I know there's plenty of fans that, that appreciate your uh, your coverage and and your reports on it. And, um, yeah, we thank you for that. And we thank you for, for jumping on the, on the podcast here this afternoon, mate. Pleasure. Anytime. Big thank you to Michael for dropping past. It's the second time I've had him on the Red V podcast and appreciate him being open and honest uh, with us and uh, giving up some time this afternoon to talk about uh, Shane Flanagan. It's uh, exciting to, to have uh, that news that uh, was broken by Michael early in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, as always, uh, a wealth of knowledge uh, here on the Red V podcast. Let's jump in to our match review this week. We only have the match review with, of course, the Dragons on the bye this weekend as the side gets a little bit of a break. And, and Kurt, it was a crazy game, much like it is uh, being a, a St. George Illora spon- uh, St. George Illora fan, not a sponsor, gee. Um, a 36 points to 14 lead inside the final 10 minutes. The Dragons, oh, they really rolled over. They they kind of collapsed in on themselves and we saw a flurry of late tries. South almost uh, pulling the game out of the fire, but the Dragons doing just enough to hold on uh, by 36 points to, to 30. But I guess if you, you take out those last five or six minutes, it was a very impressive performance by the Dragons, albeit against the south side that was was missing players but um there was expansive attack there was was good width when the dragons were setting themselves up in attacking positions defensively solid especially through the middle of the field for for most of the game a uh, strong forward play um watching at home how did you analyze the performance on saturday afternoon 
really enjoyed it. I, I, and, and look, I'm glad you said take the, the last few minutes out. Um, the, the fans deserve that. Obviously, I saw you post a, a nice video from the Hill um, late in the game. Big crowd. We called for the Dragons fans to get out there. They did. Um, look, you, you can only beat what's in front of you. And yes, South had a, a stack of guys out, but the Dragons were great. I like the fact that, that South kept them on us at the end of the match. Um, I think I said last week on the podcast, if the Dragons found a way to beat the Panthers, I would have been worried for them against South, just the just the kind of mentally where the Dragons are at, where they kind of get a little bit too excited and leave the hype a little bit too much. So I'm glad again that um, that South kept them on us at the back end of the match. Um, you know, case in point was you look at Ryan Carr um, and how excited he was through the second half, and then you watch him at, at full time, he's like, okay, well, I've, I've got some things to think about here. Mm. Uh, a few things to remind the team about, attention to detail. Um, it, it, and again, it's all about attitude for the Dragons. And I think that last couple of minutes should really be sitting in the back of their heads the next couple of weeks. Yeah, It's an 80-minute game. They're, they're getting there. They're, they are playing longer chunks of consistent football that's expected at NRL level where they're not falling out of games as much. So... Yeah, I, I thought it was a good afternoon for South Sydney, but I, but I like the fact that South kept them on us at the end and um, kind of reminded them that you know that that was a game that that could have gone the other way again. Um, I mean, if South had another two minutes, they'd probably score another try. To be mm. fair, so that that's how tight it got at the end, and, and it was chaos, absolute. I couldn't believe because I didn't watch it live, Jack. So yeah. I watched it back on a on um, I was flicking through Ko on Sunday morning and and, and watched the mini of it. And even at three and a half, four minutes, Rubber Lauer takes the ball and dives over the dead ball. I'm like, how does this? How does this happen? Like, I couldn't work out. But it was just literally like it was chaos out on that left side for the Dragons. So, um, yeah, I think there's a question later from a fan about you know, players and and kind of mm. what happened there. Um, and and we talk about fatigue and, and decision under fatigue. So. I'm glad that happened for the Dragons because that's a good whack, a, a nice reminder that you know it's all um it's not all rosy yet. You know they're, they're going forward in the right direction, but you know if you don't pull your head in and play for 80 minutes, any team in the comp doesn't matter how many players South have out, doesn't matter who you're playing, you get beaten if you don't concentrate. Yeah, and I think something can be taken from from that. They obviously learned some lessons at switching off, and, and we'll talk about it in a moment that that left side seemed to struggle. Fatigue seemed to certainly have an have an impact, but they did enough to, to win. Some fans will say, "Well, they had a they had a massive lead. They should have won by sixteen or eighteen, or they, they should have won by by twenty plus points." But I think being able to hold on in those situations, those pressure cooker situations, can be a real learning curve, especially for some of the younger players in that uh, in that dragon side. And talking of some of the younger players, not someone that we necessarily classify as a really young player uh, was Michael Molo. He's been in the front row with his brother Francis the last few weeks, uh, but a wonderful performance by him, Kurt. 166 metres, uh, 32 tackles, a try. He really led from the front. Uh, I'm not sure who got named uh, the player of the match. I, I guess that's a bit of a throwback now, isn't it? We don't really see that at the end of, of coverage on, on on Fox. I'm not sure if Channel 9 still still do it, but um, if he if I was kind of looking at, at players of the game, he would have certainly been up there. He laid the platform and, and was really strong and got rewarded with a try. Um, um, 
Again, Jaden Silver immense on that edge. Scored a really valuable try. Again, linking up with, with Ben Hunt. That's a bit of a go-to play for the Dragons. Um, whether it's a, a crash play at a dummy half or a running a, a wide running back rower on the edge, as we saw there with with Hunt giving him some some early ball to, to crash over. Um, was really impressed with Sloan. I know he made a couple of errors and uh, we'll talk about this in length a little bit later on. And uh, fans are kind of, I guess, split a little bit on his play at fullback. But but I thought that that play uh, to set up Ravalawa's first try and then the backing up, which I thought was immense to set um, Jaden Hunt up where he burst through a hole and, and then sent Hunt uh, on a, a saloon passage 30 metres downfield to, to score. We've seen, we're starting to see more positives, uh, I think, had a total Sloan than, than negatives. Was there anyone else that you kind of looked at that you, you were impressed with over the course of the 80 minutes, Kurt? Yeah, I just like the team performance. I um, I like Jaden Hunt. Um, you know, I didn't know much about him before I came on the podcast. He's coming along nicely. He's a big body too um, and has a little bit of football in him. I, I, I love the fact that you credited Molo. Um, I think those boys are, are doing a good job for the Dragons. And I, I, I feel like sometimes we all get caught up in Sloan and Ben Hunt and stuff like that. But when the Dragons are playing well, that their forwards are working together. and So they deserve credit. Um, and, and justified to the fans is uh, a little bit worried about Sloan and some of his defensive reads. But I mean, if you look at any any young fullback with potential that comes into the competition, I would love to go back to 2003 and look at someone like Billy Slater, who was still mm-hmm. learning um, you know, on the job when uh, Craig Bellamy threw him in. I think his debut was against the Carolina Sharks and blew him away. But that's all attacking highlights. Yeah. All the defensive stuff for a fullback comes later. Um, a, a little bit like, in a way, a front roller gets better from about 27, 28 on and, um, you know, really starts to understand the intri- uh, you know, the, the, the skills that come with, with playing front row. I think it's the same for fullbacks. The, the first thing that comes along when you're a rookie is, is the highlight reels, the 100-meter tries, the flick passes, the chip and chases. That's all easy. The hard things to become a rep player and become a consistent first grader is the decisions you make when you're one-on-one with uh, an opposition player that's made a break or, um, you know, when to attack a ball, um, when, when a kick's coming through. Um, um, even little things like um, your verbals and, and how much communication you have with the guys in front of you. Um, and, and I think as, as time goes on, you will see him become a lot more vocal um, with his voice and and also um, physically um, kind of get into his plays a lot more too. That all comes with time. So, you know, don't burn him at the stake when you win a game and and he's, you know, scoring tries and helping you win games just because he's he's still finding his feet defensively Mm. as a very young fullback. You've got to remember too, like, and and I don't know, we disagreed about this, Jack. If Cody Ramsey was fit at the start of the year, I had him starting at fullback. So, yeah. You know, um, sliding doors, but uh, you know, give give the kids some time. Give him give him a chance to understand his craft because he will get there eventually. And and I think someone like bringing it back in and putting a nice bow on it with, with Shane Flanagan. But I I've brought it up on this podcast that that maybe Cyril Sloan has not had specific one on one fullback training yet, um, and that's just me guessing. But I think Flanagan will look at that and say, okay, we need to get someone in that's going to work with him long-term and make him understand that there's more to, to being a fullback than, than you know, the, the, the flashy stuff. 
Mm. Well, he actually made a comment on Torrell Sloan the other day, Shane Flanagan in, in commentary. He compared him to Will, what, Will Kennedy, what position Will Kennedy was in uh, two or three years ago where um, he kind of found himself on a little bit of a light, the lighter side of the scales and, and his defensive work wasn't really um, up to scratch. So it, it takes – you look at someone like Will Kennedy. Now, he's a Polish fullback now. He's played representative um, uh, football. Um, he's, a, he's a mainstay in that shark setup. Um, but for, for, for a long time, after he graduated from under-20s, he was playing reserve grade for the Newtown Jets. Now, I'm not suggesting that's what Tyrell Sloan has to do, but I'm just saying that, that fullbacks de- and, and all players, not just fullbacks, players develop at, at different speeds. So Cody Ramsey was was kind of ready-made for, for the NRL. He'd bulked up. He was a good size. He was a, he was a good defender. And that's not everyone's, uh, everyone's strength. I think we've seen what he can do with ball in hand. Um, he's a wonderful attacking fullback, and he can he can. Cr- Create something out of nothing for the Dragons, and, and there's not a lot of fullbacks that can do that kind of those kinds of things. I think his his lay his uh, it's not even fair to say it laid back, but just the style of football he plays kind of reminiscent to David Peachy. Sometimes it can appear as if he's being lethargic or being lazy. I don't think he is. Um, I, I I just tend to look at I would much rather have someone like a Toro Sloan that has come out before. And I said how much he loves the club, loves living in the area, loves uh, interacting with, with fans than just signing a fullback for another club that, that might not necessarily um, have uh, any any ties to the Illawarra region or the St. George region and, and is just there to collect a, collect a paycheck. I think, as Kurt said, with, with good training he can and good coaching, he can be someone that can be a, a really quality fullback for, for years to come. And already, I think, this year, each game he's, he's getting better and better. And like I've said in the podcast before, What's the alternative? The alternative is, is what putting Zach Lomax to fullback and then having to find another center or putting someone like Trey Stewart that, that isn't NRL ready to play fullback. I think, yeah, the, the, the best thing the Dragons can do is to continue to persist with Toro Sloan, get him some more experience, get him some reps. He's only played... 20 games or less than 20 games in his first grade career. Um, some players, th- some players thrive on that. Uh, some players kill it from kill it from game one. You, you look at someone like Jaden Sullivan that, uh, although he hasn't killed it from game one, has looked uh, kind of NRL ready since since his since his debut. For for others, it takes it takes a long time. So I, I, yeah, I, I think he was good. But again, as we mentioned, Kurt, the platform laid by the the big boys up front. Yeah, and and just one more one more comment on um, on Sloan. I, to me, it's not even a conversation and it hasn't even come into my head watching Sloan come into first grade that there's any other option now except Sloan for the next decade. Mm. He is your fullback and fans, yes, can be worried or um, constructive criticism all that stuff, but absolutely 100%, no matter what happens from here forward, Sloan's your fullback. Yep. No, to- I, I to- totally, uh, totally agree uh, with that. Let's talk about the last five minutes, Kurt, because the Dragons really, really collapsed. Was that mental application? Was it fatigue that that, that affected their mental uh, application? They switched off. What- I-, I thought the left side defense was dreadful in that last five or six minutes. Yeah, they just kind of lost their heads. They, there was, you know, eyes were spinning, and you know, they they didn't know where to look. And and it's not like South were throwing up. Um, champagne football per se. They were hitting a side, and it was very obvious what they were trying to do. They were trying to get Campbell Graham one on one to to create some space, and some of the decision making at the end from um, I think it was Fine on that left hand side yeah. was, was was awful. I'll call that out. Um, but like I keep saying, it's decisions under fatigue. So 
every it's the it's the it's the NRL, right? So there's no bad players playing first grade rugby league. Um, so anyone can do something special in the first twenty minutes, and and you know, uh, you know, friend on Twitter for doing something cool or whatever you want to call it. But it's what you do in the last five minutes when you're absolutely stuffed and you're off your feet. And I, I think that's again where I said last week in the match preview that South are just trained to win. It's in it's in their psyche that mm. doesn't matter who they put out there, keep playing. Keep playing, keep playing. Um, but I, I think the Dragons were a little bit lucky to hold on there. But look, I, again, it, it, it's 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 what you do at the back end of the game. The start of the game doesn't matter. Like obviously, like, you've got to build into to get yourself out of the position. Um, but the South, South City Rabbitohs could have taken that away from the Dragons, like, yeah, easily. And you know, can you imagine all those fans? Because there was a fair few of them, South fans and Dragons fans that left the game early um, up the road to um, to Carlton train station that would have thought that game's done. Um, yeah, so look, a, a nice reminder for, for the Dragons. But but also, I, for those outside backs on that left-hand side, um, it, or, or that, uh, um, it's not just the outside backs because they work as a unit now, so they're, they're second rower. And they're half on that side of the field. That that was that was awful. Um, so uh, yes, enjoy the win. But I, I, like I said before, I like the fact that um, South kept them honest because that means the Dragons have to be honest at training, mm. and that keeps Ryan Carr honest. And and that means that the players who might have thought, oh yeah, we're gonna have a big night on the drinks tonight. We're gonna go out and have a good time and let our hair down. You can't do that when you when you finish the game and you almost lose. So um, yeah, no. Well, it is what it is, but uh, I think they definitely have to look into what happened there at the back end because that could hurt them in, in other games too where they will lose the game. Um, like I said, if, if South had another couple of minutes, they'd probably win that game. I think there might even be a bit of pressure on, on Matt Fierney as well, not not just based on that performance, but yeah, some of his, I guess, defensive decisions rushing rushing in and, and leaving um, – is, is men inside exposed or um, leaving opposition wingers um, exposed. It's something that's been kind of continuing for, for four or five games. That, that's something to look at. I, I guess the, the lack of quality from the, the Dragons producing in, in the New South Wales Cup probably is keeping him in that side. I think he has a lot of talent with ball in hand. We've seen what he can do with uh, that incredible try against Brisbane last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's one to, to keep an eye on. I think him and Sully, not strong defenders on on one side, and maybe that's what Anthony Griffin was um, uh, alluding to when he swapped uh, uh, Sully and Lomax to uh, opposite sides of of the field. But, yeah, that that's, I think, a weakness that a lot of sides are, are going to be, yeah, pinning closely on, um, especially with the Dragons coming up against some of those those top four and, and top eight sides in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, Ryan Carr, he's made a really nice contribution since since taking the reins, Kurt. A 2-2 two and two record, lost um, against the Panthers last week, lost against the Dolphins the week before, but wins against uh, the Roosters and, and also um, South Sydney. Two pretty uh, decent uh, decent scalps when you look at it. Two sides that played semi-final football uh, this year. What what have you made of, of his, um, not just his, his, I guess, ability in front of the mic um, and ability in front of the players to, um, to really lift them and encourage them and motivate them, but what you're seeing tactically out of the Dragons interim coach? Oh, I'll be quick here because I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but um, I, they're a lot less frustrating to watch and, and I have more confidence in them that they're, they're playing longer minutes and, and longer quality patches of play, 
where they're, they're not getting lost as much. Um, they look more dangerous. Um, they're asking more questions of the defensive line and actually making top-quality players miss tackles um, and, and forcing opposition teams to make more decisions under duress because of the attack they're throwing up. Um, I, I think he's he's instilled more confidence in Little and Sullivan, which um, in turn has, has made life a lot easier for Ben Hunt. But, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. But, um, yeah, it's a lot easier to watch the Dragons these days, a lot easier and a lot more confident watching them than play under Ryan Carr. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen some changes in in the four or five weeks that he's he's been in been in charge of the of his troops. Um, we've, we've seen a lot more passion, a lot more energy, but even just the way that the dragons have been attacking, um, sitting a little bit deeper in attack, those long sweeping plays that they just looked to have a few more ideas in attack than they did they did previously. Which um, yeah, which is it, which has impressed me. Um, yeah, oh, I'd love to see him stick on the coaching staff, but that's not up to us, the fans. It's up to to Shane Flanagan, and he and he needs to decide who who is best. But I know there'll definitely be some calls from the Dragons management that that Ryan Carr de- deserves an opportunity to to be an assistant coach at, at the Dragons. He's had some, I guess, some taste of of being a first grade coach, and and who knows what? Like I think the way the Dragons are playing defensively, we're still still a liability. But we've seen the the ability to, and I know South are missing some players, but to still put thirty six points on South, there's still plenty of quality there with the likes of Campbell Graham and Alex Johnson and and Damian Cook and. Lock- Ilias, uh, Blake Taff at the back. Um, they had some of their their big boppers there, Colin Matangi. Um, so it wasn't as if they were playing a reserve grade side. They were missing some key representative players, but the Dragons still were able to put 36 points on them. So I think that's encouraging moving forward. The Dragons able to score a few more points. Got 18 against the the the, the two time defending premiers last week. So I think they're trending in the right direction under under Ryan Carr. And I think it's yeah, I think there's a bit more. It, the, the, there doesn't seem to be as much um, doom and gloom around the pace, Kurt. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the the appointment or the impending appointment of Flanagan assists with that. But I think the way that yeah that the Dragons have been coached in recent weeks, it's it's refreshing because it was a very dull and boring and dour style of football the Dragons were playing previously under under Anthony Griffin. So. I, I, I think he's done. He's done a really good job, and um, I just hope he continues to to, um, uh, to to make improvements with this with this side, and we continue to see uh, these uh, these players develop. And I, I guess that kind of transitions nicely into my last question, Kurt. Do, uh, can, can we see the Dragons spring a few upsets in this second half of the season? I, I'm not suggesting that they're going to win seven or eight in a row and, and be Parramatta of 09 and, and get into the semifinals. But can we see them? Yeah, beating beating the Warriors uh, in uh, the the week after next, or the in in a couple of weeks' time when they come back from the bike, and the Dragons go to Shark Park and beat Cronulla on Thursday night when they play them. Uh, are, are there some time? Are there some teams that would look at the Dragons and be, oh, well, they're they're not 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 quite a, as easy as an assignment as we initially thought, or as easy of a side to beat as they were perhaps earlier in the season. Mm, yeah, uh, they are not a wooden spoon team. I don't see the Dragons finishing with the spoon, and I think they, if they keep uh, putting their, their best foot forward, that, that I, I think they finish a, a fair way from the bottom um, mm. comfortably by several competition points. Uh, if you break it down into a smaller seasons, which, which like I said, um, teams do that um, in the modern game, there's a, like I said, there's a, there's a good team there, but it's a work in progress. But but to me, the the next few weeks so important. In the next in the next five weeks, the Dragons are bookended by two buys, um, and the, in the three games in the middle of that, they're, they're home against the Warriors. They'll have to beat 
really, really good to beat the Warriors. The Warriors are absolutely flying this year. And I don't know what Andrew Webster's done over there in Auckland, but but his team's home. They're, they're playing for their team and their country. And across the board, just a really good team. I think that – I'm excited to watch that. that that'll be a cracking game. Uh, away to Cronulla, who got smashed last week by Melbourne. Uh, there's a chance there. And then home to Canberra, which is a good run. If the Dragons can get a 2-1 and one out of that with the buys, that's eight comp points. Mm. That, that's eight competition points. And then after that, if you really want to break it down, um, you want to talk about the two weeks following that, potentially with eight comp points. Um, and they have back-to-back home games against Wes and Manly. So that yeah. sets up their season. So the, the competition... You know, it, it's not the end of the world for the Dragons just yet, but they they need to go on and look at kind of, you know, look at a run here where they, they back-to-back and consistently start playing some really good football, um, win games of football, but actually get on the back page, you know, get some other people talking about them as well, um, you know, and, and then look, it, it, that in turn, instead of being, oh, yeah, we had a, we had a good win today, you know, um, you know, and I keep saying echo chamber. Yeah. Um, but if if the dragons start seeing people getting behind them and the media, you know, a bit more positivity, they go, if we keep playing like this, we, you know, we we can start believing a little bit more. So, yeah, huge, huge couple of weeks coming up. The buys, I, I, I think they're set up perfectly for the dragons. They've got to jag a couple of wins in between that, um, and then two winnable games against West Tigers and Manly, both down in Wollongong. It's it's a good run. I haven't looked any further past that and I did that purposely because I didn't mm. want I, I didn't want to go into too much detail because I think the Dragons themselves and Ryan Carr wouldn't want to do that either. There, there's plenty of water to go under the bridge. There's so much football to be played in the next seven weeks. But the best part for the Dragons is two buys um, uh, are running their favour in the three weeks between. And if they get that right, then they'll be set up for, for West Tigers and Manly down in Wollongong the two weeks after. And I think that's an advantage as well. The, the Dragons only play one more game at Cogra. That's the the that's actually the final game of the season. It's a, a 2nd of September Saturday night game against Newcastle. And, and we said last week on the podcast that very well may be the match that decides if the Dragons are going to get the wooden spoon or, or not. But then uh, you, you think of a side like the Warriors, they've, they've got to fly from, from Auckland into Sydney. And it's not just a case of, of motoring uh, motoring down 20 minutes down the road to, to Cogra and they get a chance to play the game. They've got to head down all the way to Wollongong. Say with Manly, like I'm sure Manly would have appreciated getting a chance to, to play in Sydney, but they've got to go all the way down uh, to Wollongong, which can be an advantage for the Dragons. They've got a good record there. The fans always uh, always turn up and show a lot of support. So yeah, I think excitement is is the word. I think the yeah the the, the gears are, the gears are uh, moving. The the wheels are starting to roll, and it is starting to move in a a northerly direction. It is starting to trend uh, positively here uh, for the St George Illawarra Dragons. Let's hope uh, it continues. Uh, but the buy this week, the Dragons will pocket the two points, and uh, yeah, hope. Hopefully, uh, the move up the ladder will uh, will start over the next few weeks or so. Let's take our second break here on episode 178 of the Red V Podcast, and then we'll have a look at your lower grade wrap and finish things off with a look at your fans' corner questions and the Who Am I for this week. Well, it was a weekend to forget for the Dragons in the lower grades. Uh, defeats in both the New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag Cup competition uh, was disappointing, to say the least, for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. In Jersey Flag, uh, they started off the morning. It was uh, three grades uh, across two different grounds. 
on Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon for the Dragons. Uh, Jersey Fleet going down 24 to 22 against the Rabbitohs. Just too much of a, a big lead for the Dragons to, to reel back. Although it was 12 points all at half time, but the Dragons just couldn't get it done in the second half, losing 24-22. Uh, ben Rumble scored a try. He's been in good try scoring form, while Ben Johnson scored alongside Nick Sagranis. He's uh, a tough quality back rower. He finds himself on the bench in reserve grade this week. So uh, the Uncliff uh, Scotts Jr. is continuing to, to make waves, um, having uh, captained the SG uh, St. George Dragon side. Um, and Ethan Cliff also scored a minute from uh, from time to add a bit of respectability to the score with uh, when the Rabbits were up by 24 points uh, to 16. Uh, meanwhile, if we go across to uh, the New South Wales Cup competition, it really was a dreadful performance by the Dragons. They were would have been really disappointed with themselves in front of a, a small crowd that were obviously waiting uh, with bated breath for the, the first grade game to, to go ahead. The Dragons really outclassed by six tries uh, to four. Fanned themselves down um, uh, by 18 points to nil at one stage. Um, they, uh, they they conceded three tries in the first 11 minutes. Uh, Billy Burns bagged a double and then we saw second half tries to Herring uh, and uh, Sione Finau but uh, by then the damage had been well and truly been done. Uh, the Rabbitohs 30 to, to 22. Finau's late try added a bit of respectability to the score. Uh, the Rabbitohs never really in um, a much danger of losing that. They led by 26 points to 10 at half time. So uh, frustration for the Dragons at the, the lower grade level. Um, they've got enough quality in both the Jersey Fleek side and the New South Wales Cup side to be a, a lot higher than, than when they where they are. You've, you've got two rookie coaches in charge of the 21s and, and also in charge of the New South Wales Cup. In New South Wales Cup, the Dragons find themselves effectively third from bottom, five wins, a draw, eight defeats and a bye. You look at their stats, it's not awful. They've got 308 points, which isn't the worst um, the, the worst attacking record in the competition. And they've also only considered 350 points, which isn't the worst with the likes of, of the Eels, the Knights, uh, the, the, the Roosters, um, and uh, a few other sides uh, that have conceded more points than them. But inconsistency has, has been a real issue and they just have not been able to string consistent performances together. Similarly with, with the drag, uh, Jersey Fleek side. They've already had three buyers, which just shows you that the just the far, just how kind of farcical the the lower grades is. They've won four, lost eight, and had three buyers, but they've only been able to score 252 points um, across the 12 games they've played in the Dragons, and yeah, are well behind uh, where they need to be. It's a top five this year, and and the Storm, Melbourne Storm, who um, have not been good at this competition for a long time, actually find themselves in a good position um, uh, this uh, this season. Currently in fifth position on 20 points. Dragon six points adrift. So there is a chance, Kurt, and, and this is a really sad indictment on the St. George uh, Illawarra and St. George Illawarra clubs that the the, the men's or, or the boys, when, and I'm not including the Illawarra South Coast Dragons, I'm strictly talking about Illawarra and St. George at Maddie's Cup, which is under 17s, uh, Illawarra and St. George at SG Ball, which is under 19s, uh, Jersey Flake under 21s and reserve grade was spoken about. There's a significant chance and a very probable chance if you're a betting man, the Dragons don't make finals in any of those grades. And for a side with the catchment area of both uh, the the massive Illawarra region and also the, I guess, the rich history and, and, and um, uh, I guess, culture of the, the St. George region, that's very, very worrying. I'm sure Shane Flanagan will will look to rectify that ASAP when when he does come in as coach, but nothing can take away from, I guess, the, the lack of quality coaching and the lack of quality performances by, by the Dragons. I know I don't get your opinion much in the lower grade rap, but for me, um, that, that looks at the, uh, this Dragons club holistically, that that's really disappointing to see, see how poorly the results have been um, across the grades. 
Yeah, I, I guess when you when you look at it like that, uh, junior development stuff like that, it can be a window into other issues at the club, which may, you know, it could be it, it could be because of COVID and, and a fallout from COVID and kind of reinstalling those structures to. Um, get the, the best players developed. I don't think they had they... the structures in the first place, Kurt. I think that's too kind to them. Yeah, I, look, I, I think St. George District has struggled for a while yeah, at yeah. those grades. Um, but you got to remember, too, Illawarra a couple of years ago had, had the best um, mats and ball teams and had a lot of guys come through from that. But now we're seeing them in first grade. So there is a fall off. It's kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit. So... Um, you know, you know, it, it's great to have money and, and backing from leagues clubs and stuff like that and sponsors and, and blah, blah, blah. But you, you need to um, develop your own players. There, yeah. there's, there's a conscious effort from the best clubs and the biggest clubs in the competition now that they have a social um, expectation that they develop players that will, and they understand that they, not all of them will play first grade for their club but they have a social expectation that they develop as many good young players, male or female, and see them succeed in first grade at other clubs. So, that, so then if you want to open up um, another door and talk about another conversation is, is exemptions for clubs that, that do develop uh, a lot of players. So I, I think we'll see some changes there, that there has to be some changes when Flanagan comes in um, where you'll, again, in, in, you, you've got to develop your own. You can't just buy other players. So I think there's that you can see it. There's the guys that came through a few years back, um, and then there's kind of a, a little bit of a gap. So mm. the Dragons, um, tactically, over the next couple of years, will have to be really good with their roster management. And I think that's where Flanagan comes in and will and we'll sign some, some big-name plays to fill some spots. Um, but also you'll see that flow-on effect, um, hopefully, where they, they start to – um, tighten up a little bit and, and pick up their game at, at junior level as well. Yeah, I think I think they de- they desperately need to to do that. I, I don't know if you can use the excuse of of kind of saying, well, five years ago or four years ago, we won the SG ball and those players have moved moved up. I think there's plenty of other sides. You, you look at Canterbury; they've got a much smaller um, district than than we do, and they've dominated in New South Wales Cup and, and Jersey Fleet for years. Not necessarily in winning premierships, but there or thereabouts in the in the top four and uh, the top eight or, or top five or whatever it is now. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, obviously the appointment of Shane Flanagan will allay some of those. Fears is, but uh, it is is disappointing to see uh, the drop off in, uh, in in the lower grades and uh, yeah even the I guess the lack of information about what is going on uh, at the club in those pathway systems uh, that's going to be something to uh, to keep an eye on uh, but let's uh, just have a quick look at, and see how the sides do line up this week. Um, the, uh, the, the Dragons find themselves playing in uh, New South Wales Cup and also in Jersey Flake. So in Jersey Flake, the Dragons are down there at Raiders Bell Conan Ground at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Now, this is the side that has been named. Ben Rumble is at fullback. The Dragons and the New South Wales Rugby League have got Savalio Tamale listed on the wing in 21s, but they've also got him listed on the wing in reserve grades. So take from that what you will. I'm assuming he's going to play one of those grades. He's not going to be able to play both, I wouldn't think. Uh, Cooper Roberts is the other winger. Ben Johnson and the informed Campbell watchers in the centres. Uh, Lycan King Togia is the 5'8". Ashton Ward, the half. Loco Pacific Tonga is one of the front rowers alongside the New South Wales under-19 rep, Jacob Webster. Uh, Declan Purcell, the hooker. Phoenix, Avenida Affinity. 
Kennedy, Harry Rudd and Hamish Stewart in the back row with Callum Lightfall, Jet Liu, uh, Ryan Hodgson and Bryce Magnone on the interchange bench there for the Dragons. Meanwhile, in the New South Wales Cup or for the sponsorship reasons, the knock-on effect cup, uh, they're taking on the Western Suez Magpies at Lidcombe Oval on Sunday afternoon. They're playing for the Roy, Ma- Roy Masters Cup, of course, Roy, the, the coach that took St. George to the 1985 Grand Final, had a lot of success at Western Suburbs, of course, famously uh, toyed the uh, toyed with uh, with Manly for the the uh, the Silver Towels and, and Fibro Wars of, of of the late 70s into the the early 1980s. Uh, the Dragons haven't named any of their NRL players uh, apart from Te- Toby Couchman uh, in their squad um, uh, for that match against the Western Suburbs Magpies. Be interesting to see if the likes of Moses Empire or Junior Ramon or even Jaden Hunt, some of those bench players, get an opportunity for the Dragons. There might be some changes later to kick off. Uh, Trey Stewart is at the back. Uh, Sevilla Tamale again named on the wing. Sione Finau is the other winger. Max Fiernay, Tatao Moga, the centres. Conor Mulhaisen is the 5'8". Zach Herring at half. Front row of Toby Couchman, Harley Finau and Nick Luitoso, while Billy Burns, Dan Russell and Ryan Couchman are in the back row. Nick Sagranis gets a call up onto the interchange bench. Alex Tordovake, Viliami Fafita and Jackson Cherub. Uh, they have a very good squad there. You, you look at some of the quality throughout that uh, New South Wales Cup side. They should be in a lot better position uh, than where they are. Maybe they'll be able to turn it around a Sunday afternoon against the Western Suez Magpies at their at Lidcombe Oval. That uh, wraps up all of our lower grade news. If you've got anything or you, you want to discuss anything that we've, uh, we've spoken about in our wrap, feel free to email us redvpodcast at gmail.com. That's what some people have done to get in contact with us for our Fans Corner segment for this week. And uh, we're going to kick off our Fans Corner segment by taking a listen to a voice question that was sent to uh, sent through to us uh, by Tim Butcher. Tim wanted to ask about, uh, I guess, some of the goals for the Dragons uh, towards the end of the season with the fact that, uh, yeah, there's probably a very small chance or maybe no chance of the Dragons uh, playing any finals footy in 2023. Hey, Jack and Curtis. Hope you're both doing well. Um... I just want to say thanks to you guys for all the great work you've been doing this season, um, keeping all us Dragons fans sane in what's been a difficult season. Um, obviously, competitively, the seasons are probably gone now and it's a bit of a waste. Um, but looking over the uh, back half of the season, what are the things that you think the Dragons need to be focusing on and building on heading into next year, just in uh, maybe regards to recruitment, maybe style of play and development and stuff like that? Cheers, guys. So, Tim, I guess bring up a point that we've spoken about a, a little bit so far during the podcast, Kurt. What, 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 what are that? What are the dragons looking for over the rest of the season? Obviously, you want to avoid the spoon. Uh, you want players to to improve. Is it style of play? What would be some things that you would you would throw up that you would like to see over these next kind of ten to twelve weeks over the course of the season for the Red V? Yeah, look, I, I know we. Yeah, I know there's a lot of fan questions every week, but I, I feel like we're. I'm repeating myself a little bit. It's you can just you know it's there. You can see it. it, it you they've just got to continue to to build on what they're doing. Um, you know you, you you're not reinventing the wheel. It, it's the 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 structure and 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 what you can do for this team. It's already there. Just just keep going in the right direction. I I'm amazed and kind of not at the same time. Um, sometimes at, at Dragons fans in, in general, um, and how you know, kind of pessimistic they are about their team. That there's an exciting team here. They, they've just got to keep moving forward. I, I, I think Ryan Carr's, like we said before, got the got the team on paper that that he probably wants now. Um, and kind of some of his decisions have backed up a few things we've said on this podcast. So they're going in the right direction. 
Um, everyone needs to chill a little bit and let them keep playing football. And look, there might still be some hard, you know, um, you know, um, heart attack moments, but um, that's mm. just the way they're playing at the moment. Uh, our next question comes from Sean Ganano. He said, why do we make a regulation win seem so difficult and give fans a heart attack? I mean, I myself had every confidence in them getting the job done. I swear. Mm-hmm. I believe you, Sean. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it is hard. it's frustrating as a Dragons fan that you have a 22-point lead and, and you almost uh, almost stuff it up. Yeah, just remember just remember you won the game. That's the main thing. Um You've got to accept that these things will happen occasionally with a young team working out who they are. Um, I think the positives far outweigh the negatives on the weekend, so mm. just just, just go with it. Kind of embrace it. In, 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 embrace feeling incredibly nervous that your side's going to squander a 22-point lead, Kurt? No, well, embrace that you won, but, you know, it, your team did get you – they did get up by what they did and earned the right to kind of try to defend that league to finish the game. So they're not a top eight team yet, but they're not a wooden spoon team either. So um, to me, there's plenty to like about the Dragons at the moment, but um, that, that's just a neutral from the outside. What should be Flanagan's first priority next season at the Dragons? Ask Cooper Island. Oh, I, I think he's going to go to market and buy some players. Mm. Um, but uh, look, the framework's there, like I said. You've got your fullback, your six, seven, and nine. I think Flanagan will talk to Ben Hunt and say, look, mate, you're our halfback. Um, but, um, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think recruitment. But I think I think the priority would be – would be, for, for him is, is coaching and getting the, the best out of his, the best out of his players uh, that, that he's got there. It's not, we're not playing a video game here where he can just kind of clear house and say, okay, I, I don't want 18 of these players. I want to bring in these 18 players. Like there's, there's only a certain amount of quality players available in the open market. So it's probably going to be a, a stage of, of kind of what we've seen what's happened with Canterbury where it's it's gradually. He might be able to sign one or two players one year, and the next year it might be two or three, and it might be another two or three the year after that. So I feel like it's a bit of a slow burn with Flanagan. So I think his his coaching skills and and his man management skills are probably his number one priority for for him to try and get the the best out of the uh, the best out of the squad uh, the players that he has because. Assuming you can hold on to someone like a Jaden Sewer, um, Ben Hunts obviously um, has spoken to, to Shane Flanagan. The media made a, a lot about that last week. You're seeing the improvements of Jaden Sullivan, um, Tyrell Sloan, Zach Lomax. I've said before in this podcast that I don't think it's an awful squad. I think with a good coach, that like if you started with a good coach from uh, day one in season 2023, the Dragons could be a side that could find themselves in the bottom half of the eight. So, um, yeah, I think the, the priority is, is getting the best out of it. And I think recruitment probably um, plays plays a part kind of next to that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Shane has other things on his on his priority list. But, it's um, yeah, it's, it's exciting, though, that there, there is going to be things happening. There's going to be changes within the club. Um, so, yeah, I, I, Coop, that's what I'd be I'd be excited about. I think there's going to be plenty of plenty of change and and, and hopefully um, all all for the best. Jack, uh, yeah, mate. Can I just ask you a question on that? Mm. Um, and, and when I say recruitment, I, I, like I said, I, I think there's some really good young players there. That's why Flanagan would be pumped to get there. But if, if I said to you for a minute, if you were the roster management manager at the, at the club, mm. um, I'd be looking at another outside back, depth wise. Yeah. So would um. It's, would, would, who would be on the chopping block first for the Dragons if you had to say, all right, 
we need to hedge our bets here and probably squeeze someone out of this squad and kind of get a bit of turnover. Who'd be the who'd be the guy you're looking at to, to kind of move on, Suli? Or and this is just hypothetically. So we're talking we're talking we're, we're, we're talking first grade guys, aren't we? We can't we can't squeeze reserve grader. It has to be someone hypothetically in the first grade squad. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about we're talking about a big chunk of the roster of, of you know a large amount of money, and we're talking about like a fresh face, new start. Um, which guy would you probably say? All right, we we can probably do with this guy, but this guy we can probably shed. Yeah, if, if it was between Lomax and Sully, I'm keeping Lomax every day of the week. I, I, I know he's one of those players that fans are kind of torn on, a little bit like Tyrell Sloan, actually. Um, obviously, Sloan's only been around for, for, for the last uh, few years. But I, I think Zach, with the right coaching, and let's look at the coaches that he's had since coming to first grade. Paul McGregor. Um, and then obviously De- Dean Young uh, as an interim and, and Anthony Griffin. They're hardly guys that are going to end up in, in the Hall of Fame. They're not going to end up on a premiership trophy, those guys. So I think with the right coach, Zach Lomatz could be an absolute star for us. He doesn't – and I don't want to get into all the analysis side of things, but go back and, and, and watch the games this year, whether it's a KO Mini or you're going back and watching the full game. Watch where Zach Lomax gets the ball. He never gets early ball. Not 85% of his touches are either out of dummy half or first receiver uses a battering ram to try and get the ball out of the own end. And Sully, his game probably suits that more so than Lomax. Lomax is strong and he can make seven or eight or nine meters every run. Um, but he's the kind of player that can can really give you some class out on out on an edge. So I would be I would be holding on to him, Kurt. No, fair enough. Good call. Uh, our next question uh, comes from. Uh, Stephen Fields, and um, I guess it's kind of been um, spoken about a little bit because we, we we spoke about the um, uh, the statement by Shane Flanagan earlier. But Stephen's asked, "Hey boys, love the fact we got Flano finally, but I wonder what terms he might want included in the contract and whether they have been settled on yet. Do you guys think the contract terms might still be a stumbling block considering what happened with Riles? Oh, they're not going to be a stumbling block, but I, I would be interested to see, yeah, what some of his demands are and what." Um, I don't know whether they're clauses or asterisks in, in the contract that he wants. Does he want to have his own football manager? Does he kind of want to, um, I guess, usurp Benny Harron um, and he wants to be the football manager as well as uh, the coach or, or whether there's other people that he wants um, as, as part of his his setup. If I'm the Dragons, I'm giving it to him. I'm giving anything anything he wants. But that that's an interesting question just to kind of ponder and, and think about a bit, Kurt. Yeah, worried about this. Uh, I am. Um... You know, Flanagan kind of had to take the job and then, yeah, and say, yeah, we'll worry about the details later. I'm worried about this in the sense that for the Dragons to move forward and be successful with Shane Flanagan as their coach, I mean, in a way, I mean, what is head of football? A head of football is when a, when a club is truly struggling and, um, you know, you get a Phil Gould or someone in there that, that, that you know, the, the absolute top echelon of, Mm. You know, um, semi-retired coaches that, that that improve clubs. I mean, Flanagan's almost at that position where he comes in, and I I, I don't know, um, Aaron from from you know, but no idea. Never spoken to the bloke, but in a sense, like surely Shane Flanagan knows more about how to get um, a team to the finals than than old mate. So. Yeah, it's interesting the dynamics there. If, if Lanigan walks in, I, I think the dragons that the, the dragons that be proactive here and say we're not giving Flanagan his 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 chance to come back. 
Um, we should be opening up the doors to Shane Flanagan and saying, okay, so what do you need? Because mm. from, from, from the outside looking in and, and from all the reports and stuff we've heard, it sounds like they stuffed up with Jason Riles yep. um, and didn't give Jason Riles what he wanted. I don't think Flanagan is going to sit there and, and you know demand or you know expect as much as Riles did because I think Riles is at a position now where he kind of felt like maybe he had a little bit over the Dragons in, in the sense mm. that if you really want me, then um, I'm going to be a 10-year coach here. This is what I need. Um, th- there's, there's still a lot of political stuff to go on in the background. Um, I, and I, look, the Flanagan's kind of coming into this club where he's got some support, um, um, you know, from the suits and all that kind of stuff. But some things need to be tinkered, and I think the Dragons need to come to the table and say, "All right, enough's enough. We need to, um, we need to work with Shane Flanagan here." Uh, uh, we'll finish off our fans' course segment with a question uh, from Trent. He said, hey, boys, great 75 minutes on the weekend. Was nerve-wracking the last three minutes, however. I saw that Gen- Junior Amon only got a few minutes at the end of the game. Do you guys think they should have him training the middle as a ball-playing lock so he can get p- more playing minutes? I think he could play as a fringe second rower, like mm. playing, running some hard lines. That, you know, I, If he's going to be in the 17, he needs to be more than a Moses or or kind of just back up on the bench. He needs to be... Uh, I think he only played a couple of minutes. I looked at the stats and he only made one tackle. So he might have even only been out there for the last 60 seconds or a couple of minutes, which seems a bit of a waste. If they think that Jacob Little is an 80-minute hooker, that's fine. That, that's that's great. Um, do, do, do you carry utility just in case there's there's injuries? Or yeah, I, I just I don't I don't like it. And, and Wayne Bennett's done it previously. At a, at, a, at a few clubs, I don't like that player being carried on the bench and McGregor was terrible at it and, and he plays three or four minutes because I just think that's that's an absolute waste of a player on the bench. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Um, so, look, if he's going to keep getting picked, he's a big body. He is. Let him out there and, you know, it might open up some doors for him. Like, I, I don't know if he survives at the Dragons. He's got stuff going on off the field. But he might, you know, if, if everything works out his way, he might find himself on the open market, and, and it's not a bad thing. He's a big guy. Um, to me, so far this year, he hasn't shown me enough that he's a creative 5'8 that can um, take some responsibility away from Ben Hunt and let Ben Hunt open up a little bit. So let him out there. Let him rip. Let him float through the middle, um, take some hit-ups, um, you know, back up in support and create some energy around the middle and follow Jacob Little through the, the middle third of the field. Yeah, I reckon that's uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does get do, does get used, especially with Jaden Sullivan in, in such good form. And I wouldn't say he has a mortgage on the number six jumper, but he's uh, walked into the bank and he's applying for a loan. So he's been playing some uh, some really good uh, football uh, in the halves recently as well. Uh, before we finish off our uh, Red V podcast episode one hundred and seventy eight, we do need to announce the Who Am I this week on the Red V podcast. We spoke about this player, a prop forward for the Dragons, started his career at South, also had spells at Illawarra, Newcastle and over with Wigan, uh, played 247 first grade games and also played uh, 12 tests for New Zealand. And the Who Am I for this week on the podcast is Craig Smith. He played in the 1999 Grand Final with the Dragons. He was a real leader in the Ford Pack for those three seasons at the Dragons, having spent three seasons at the Steelers, but had some success um, over at uh, in, in, with Wigan in the UK and also came out of retirement with Newcastle in the, the, the mid-2000s and 
also had a bit of a bit of success uh, running over the top of the Red V podcast co-host Kurt Woodward as well, uh, which we are we also are always love to hear. We love to hear Kurt's little stories through his brush with fame, and uh, yeah, he certainly had more than a brush with fame with uh, with Craig Smith this week. Uh, but but regardless, Kurt, a, a great player, wasn't he? Um, yeah, huge frame. I guess we 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 noticed now how much the game has changed when when Craig Smith was someone that stood 187 meters around, kind of six two, six three, 109 kilos. That was a giant back in the the mid to late 90s, the early 2000s. Now you've got guys that are 6'4", 6'5". Look at Sean Lane. He's about 6'6", or 6'7", and 115 kilos. Um, it's it's funny how the game's changed because 109 kilos and 6'3", uh, back in the 90s, uh, that would have been a pretty intimidating body. And he uh, he really smashed some people around, didn't he, Craig Smith? Yeah, and uh, ahead of his time as well, um, in the sense that um, a few rules got changed for him to play for Queensland. Mm. Around the same time as uh, Adrian Lamb, when the Super League war was was in full flight, so he got some games for Queensland. When uh, I don't know how he got to play for Queensland, but um, yeah, no, great player. Um, and and you know, just in those old days, you say the old days. I mean, you know, we're talking about the nineties and early two thousands, but just a, a chiselled prop that understood his game. Did get? I'm glad you mentioned that before. Did get in some trouble with um. Um, with with his um, lifting of the knees and stuff yeah. like that, but a good leader that um, didn't shirk responsibility and led by his actions. So I, I, and one of those guys that kind of got every last ounce of um, of talent out of his body. Um, so look, he's probably sore these days and wakes up most mornings mm. with the the creaky knees and the the bad elbows and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm sure if, if you ask him, he'd do it all again. Good player. Yeah, good player. Played in a grand final for the for the Dragons. There's not too many players uh, that can say that. And uh, yeah, we appreciate and and salute him for his service to the Illawarra Steelers and also the St. George Illawarra Dragons. That brings us to the end of episode 178 of the Red V Podcast. Big thanks to you, all the fans tuning in, and hopefully you enjoyed uh, our chat earlier with Michael Carianas in regards to Shane Flanagan and all the talk about uh, Flanagan. Hopefully plenty of uh, nice memories, positive memories uh, in the future. Uh, Kurt, great to be chatting Dragons footy with you, mate, and, and thanks so much again for jumping on board tonight. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it as always. Uh, as always, you can get in contact with us, redvpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next Tuesday evening for a, a brand new episode where we won't be talking about a Dragons win, but we'll be talking about two points. That is guaranteed and that there's always uh, going to be plenty of great engaging content as we move forward towards uh, the uh, third quarter or uh, towards the end of the regular season for the Dragons. Thanks so much for tuning in. I've been Jack Clifton. I've also been joined by Curtis Woodard. We'll catch you next week for a brand new episode of the Red V Podcast. But until then... Let's go, those mighty dragons. Now, Spike and Otis on Went Across the Bay Bridge. Wake up, Otis. Spike. Time to leave. Don't be snoring. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Your turn, lady. You're our friend. I'll do my talking at the end. Going home? Here's a gem. Cross the bay after 10 p.m. Avoid Bay Bridge backups with 24-7 traffic updates at 1-877-BASE-BAN. That's 1-877-229-7726 or baybridge.com. Get there happy. Get home happier. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.